Welcome to Shanghai Zan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, platforms, creativity, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts, and you can learn more about Shanghai John at our website, johnstation.com. I'm Bryce Whitwam, and I'm Ali Kazmi. And of course, if you like the show, share with your friends, or better yet, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have you given that、uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify five-star review yet, Ali? The review, no, but I'm quite. Yeah, I I,、uh, I remind people, I remind our guests、uh, to listen to the show, press the like button, and share the show with their friends. That's all we can ask. <laughs> yeah, that's all we can ask for them to do. I really appreciate that support. Yeah, I. It could be easily you could go on and write a fake name and give a give a report like many people do, but、uh, you, you spend too much time in China. Keep, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! Incredible <laughs> podcast. Don't need to do that. Yeah. 不错，非常好，非常好 Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,、uh, Ali, today we're talking digital transformation. We have Ronan Bader,、uh, the CEO and co-founder of Wiredcraft, a pioneering digital product agency based in China. With his deep expertise and leadership, Ronan has. Been instrumental in driving digital innovation and transformation across various industries in China. Wiredcraft has collaborated with a lot of famous brands, including Starbucks, Nike, Hilton, and Unilever, helping them navigate the rapidly evolving digital landscape in China. And today, we're going to uncover the stories and strategies behind China's digital revolution with Ronan. Thanks for coming, and welcome to Shanghai, John. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is the first time we've met, but I've known you, and I've been always impressed by the fact that this is something that you've done, that you set up. Could you tell us a little about how you started this? And we're not talking to someone from Accenture or Deloitte. This is digital transformation company that you founded. That started right, and you worked with some of the most famous brands. So hats off to you for this amazing accomplishment. We just like to know, well, how did you do it? I mean, I guess the lack of tie and suit gave it away, right? So I'm definitely not from Accenture.、Um, I I actually started Wirecraft because I was basically broke. I worked for. I worked for an agency for a little while、um, in 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 Shanghai, and it was a bit of a mess. I won't go into the details, but long story short, what I ended up doing was paying off the employee of the company that was the、uh, managing director for. As as we were liquidating the putting the the, the local branch in bankruptcy, and、um, after this experience, I was left with no savings and. Uh, what I ended up doing was taking on a few contracts、uh, with friends that I had in 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 France and in the U.S. And、uh, yeah, like a couple months in, I ended up with some folks working out of my living room, and and it kept on going. And I just realized I had to go start like setting up a company and paying social securities and like all that stuff. And、uh, yeah, that's how it got started. So kind of very much not. You know the way that you would think about it, not really well thought out.、Um, uh, I did that for a few years, mostly, mostly just trying to build as well product in parallel. Not very fully committed to building an agency. I really didn't want to go and live that, live through that experience again of running a shop.、Uh, it's only around 2015 in the end that we we had to go and take a decision. We actually had a、uh, 
an offer for investment for one of our products, one of our SaaS platforms. And uh, we, we also had been invited to join an accelerator in the U.S. Uh, called uh, Techstars. That forced us into really considering it uh, seriously, which we did. And at the last minute, we had literally one more paper to sign. I got, I would say cold feet, but basically I didn't think that going into an accelerator with a product that I, I thought we would probably have to, to pivot quite heavily was, was the smart choice. And I just decided to you know, convince my co-founders that what we should do instead is focus on one thing at a time. We had been doing 20 different things at the same time for years at that stage. And uh, uh, yeah, so I managed to convince them to give Wirecraft a goal for one year, but just Wirecraft. And that's kind of like in 2015, when, when things kicked off, we just stopped working on our products on the side and stopped doing like, you know, 20 different things and uh, started to go and focus on like actually building a consultancy. And it, it picked up, like we started to work with Starbucks within the first year. And we went from like, I don't know, maybe we had eight to 10 people back then. And within the first year, we went like to 20 and then went on to 50 and all the way up to now, like, I don't know, 130 plus people. Uh, so that's how that's how I got started with mostly desperation and a very empty bank account. I think you're being very modest. Both Ali and me, we we come more from you know the creative strategic creative agency side. I I, I just can't imagine having been in, in a position where we actually did get digital transformation level projects, been able to execute on them. You know, I was I was with WPP, so I had help. Uh, to do it on your own is a remarkable feat. So. Uh, congratulations on that. Could you let maybe for some of our listeners give us a basic understanding of what digital transformation means, especially in a China context? I, I know you worked with a lot of notable brands. You just mentioned Starbucks, but also you worked with Nike and Hilton. What is the essence of digital transformation? What have you kind of learned from some of these transformations, at least with some of these brands, and how could other businesses learn from, from them? But yeah, I mean, digital transformation, that's a little bit of a buzzword, right? Uh, but we could, we could start with um, just defining a few terms first. There's like digitization, which is usually kind of like the process of taking information from analog to, uh, to a digital form. You have digitalization, which is usually using digital technologies and information to transform business operation. And digital transformation is more about, you know, the... Uh, uh, the, the impacts on, on the business as a whole and its strategy. Um, so, you know, digitization and digitalization are more about technology, but digital transformation, uh, it's more about the customer. Uh, so with that, with that being said, we're, we're more into, and it, we advertise it as digital transformation, but more, more into the business of what we call digital acceleration. We actually wrote about it a bunch of times. The reason why we kind of label it is because we're more about not so much thinking about this as a one-off process that gets you to, you know, some ideal state of having transformed the business, uh, but it's more about trying to to help our, our partners, you know, build the the, the capacity uh, to to change constantly because it's it's never really done, right? It's just not a destination. It's just an ongoing. It's just a shift in in culture and capabilities to. Uh, to be resilient to change and then being able to go and constantly kind of reinvent yourself. Yeah, I would say digital acceleration would probably be a better term for what we do. Concretely, it's very often, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work that we do up front in terms of auditing and understanding better the business and where they're at and how they position against their competitors and 
you know, what they're doing, what they're not doing, gaps in, in their strategy. But very quickly, it shifts towards like, you know, um, executing on, on, on small scale projects to go and put our assumptions to the test and then trying in that process to build some amount of um, capabilities internally um, in that organization and creating a momentum so that like more and more of the teams actually adopt those more agile and, and lean practices. Now in, in China, we've kind of benefited from, you know, the fact that it's very differentiated and the fact that the market has kind of leapfrogged in many many different verticals, right? I mean, whether it's strategy where you have like a completely different landscape uh, to operate by or customer experience, like a very different user experience and, and, and user interface. Uh, technology, obviously, completely different ecosystem with like things like WeChat and Send, Tmall, and uh, or even data with like now data regulation. That's really kind of given us a, a really a, a lot of a lot of help in convincing partners to work with us, um, but not so much with digital transformation per se, more for what we call C4C, China for China kind of projects, right? Which is somehow similar. There's usually a dimension as well of modernization, but it, it's it's also kind of helping them uh, do that specifically for the Chinese market. Our clients tend to face, you know, challenges on like three fronts. So it's usually either problems of centralization where the headquarters have a lot of control and um, a lot of like they take a lot of the strategic decisions, uh, which is making it very hard for local teams to own their roadmap and execute at the pace that is competitive in the Chinese market. It's also localization issues, right? Um, I mean, kind of related to that first point, but very often we try and convince our, our partners to uh, to have a local team that understand the local culture and the local ecosystem and can execute properly and. The last thing usually is also issues of digital maturity, right? So, and that's more of a general digital transformation concept, but we work with a lot of partners that are still somehow early in their, in their transformation, and they don't necessarily make a distinction between digital and IT. And so very often what ends up happening is a lot of digital projects are actually led by either the marketing team or an IT team. And there's not per se like a team in, in between that just um, is just focused on digital. And that's what we usually, you know, help our partners with is creating that team along with like, the, the culture associated with it. Just to define it, it's usually a team that is uh, more focused on on actual more, I mean, more, more risky projects and, and initiatives. Um, and it's a lot more strategic than what IT does. IT tends to be more seen as a cost center, not really a place where you take risks, right? So so that's, that's very much kind of uh, the, the work we end up doing with our clients. Um, and... Um, yeah, I mean that's usually a, an ongoing. takes takes it takes a while to get people to that like proper balance between having some amount of uh, support from HQ that is still able to you know enforce consistency with the with the overall like global strategy and making sure that the brand is respected and at the same time empowering local team to execute at China speed. We've mentioned a number of international global brands like Starbucks, and so when you talk about China for China, and this is. A lot of our audience is actually not based in China. They're based in the U.S. So they're probably very familiar to familiar with the type of experience they would have with a Starbucks asset or with something, with some sort of an application, with an experience that Starbucks would offer them. How, how, how does, you know, a Wirecraft come into play given the specificities of China? You know, what sort of uh, acceleration would you offer in this market? Just perhaps some examples uh, for the audience. Sure. I mean, we've done very similar work with 
uh, with Hilton, with Nike, with Burberry. And it very often starts with like a specific need. So it's for the past few years, very often being about WeChat actually, and or, and or e-commerce. So one of their, one of their core services. So with Hilton, for example, that would be booking and, uh, and loyalty. And usually what we try and, and help them with is making a, a localized version of, of, of that um, kind of mission critical uh, consumer facing service, uh, oftentimes as a WeChat mini program or like a local mobile app. Um, and before this turns into more of a full fledged kind of digital transformation uh, mission. Although in the past few years as well, we've been more and more actually being brought in like straight up as more of a strategic partner and then focusing on digital transformation first. But so to illustrate it, for example, with, with Hilton, um, which we did like, you know, starting a few years back, um, it was taking a, a, you know, a, a strategy that had been executed with mostly from the, the headquarters uh, and that was not performing as well as they, as they wanted. It was uh, the, the apps, the ecosystem of applications that they had for uh, their membership, I mean, their loyalty program, Hilton Honors and, and Booking, uh, was, uh, was, was lacking. It was, from a technical standpoint, very slow. It would take too long to actually go and, and get, a, get a booking place, for example, and would fail in some cases. I think that customer experience was uh, definitely not properly localized. I mean, the app itself was, I believe at that stage, not fully localized, not fully translated into Chinese, but also not adapted to the local market, whether it's just simple concepts of uh, user interface or like purely user experience as well around uh, somehow behaviors or payments that were actually offered, like, you know, method of payment that were offered to, to the users. Uh, nothing like WeChat or Alipay was actually enabled. And then obviously there were some constraints uh, around data backend services. So they had like some issues there that they need to go and solve. And it's even more relevant now with regulations like PIPL, MLPS, and CSL that are effectively forced in China where you, you need to, to put a certain amount of guarantees as to how data from uh, Chinese citizens are actually managed. Yeah, so they, they come usually with kind of that, that bag of problems. They want to have a, an experience that is, that is more local, that performs better in the market. And that's usually kind of like how we get a foot in. And oftentimes that goes through like, you know, a little bit of strategy and design, helping them understand how they could just adjust their strategy. And then very quickly kind of prototyping and launching a version of, a, of an app that like, you know, answer that, that local demand. And on top of that, usually we then stay engaged for a much longer period of time, going into, again, more that stra- high, high level strategy discussion, trying to go and help them figure out what their roadmap should be and what they should invest in, potentially also working with their team, you know, anything from like hiring to helping them change the development or design culture. Um, and then more on the execution level, helping them kind of open up more, uh, more digital channels or, you know, just investing further into, into the apps that we've already built. So in the case of Hilton, we started with mobile, probably iOS first, and then went on to doing Android. And then we moved on to BitChat, and then we moved on to third-party platforms. And, and we've been just working on them pretty much every single week since uh, since we started probably about four plus years ago. Yeah, no, excellent. I, I'm taking notes as well, by the way. And I mean, that also kind of sets up the second question. But just to kind of summarize the, the, the front end, one of the, one of the drivers is, you know, obviously the, the platform's very different. Points and rewards in international markets may not necessarily result in the same sort of um, end game. 
um, your data needs to be warehoused in an environment that's you know that's that's aligned with or that that follows um, the legal frameworks uh, in China. Infrastructure speed access is very important. You talked about you mentioned payments, which actually leads to the next bit. You know, on the payments thing, I was kind of thinking that we were just going to talk about payments and how and how digital wallets have really forced all of these companies, uh, these international companies. To build out a direct-to-consumer asset, and that's kind of forced their, you know, f- force this need to digitally transform. Um, but, but obviously, it's not just, you know, it's not just about digital wallets. It's just so many aspects that you mentioned earlier. You know, do you think that wallets was kind of like the pivot, and that was like the one big thing that's forced the entire industry to figure out a way to transform the type of the way they connect with consumer? I mean, I think it's the visible one. I think this, it's the obvious one. I would, you know, from what I remember, I think McDonald's was delivering 24-7, starting 2007 or maybe 2008. And, and this is something that we barely got to see being like effectively done in, in other markets, like in, and I don't know, 20, 2013, maybe 2015, started to see this in like Western markets. So, I think overall China has leapfrogged in many different verticals. Um, payment is one; it's the obvious one, and, and and in many cases, it's because there was not necessarily somehow comparable alternatives. I think in the U.S. and Europe, digital payment was available, and 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 you could actually you could somehow find places, businesses that actually were supporting digital uh, payment, but. You already had credit card and you had all that infrastructure and investment that had been made, especially with retail outlets. It was not so much better that, you know, it justified the hassle of like really kind of rethinking the way that you just handle your payment on a day to day. So it took a little bit, a little bit longer. But in China, we had none of that infrastructure in place, right? Like people hadn't invested into all those, as much into all those point of sales and, and, you know, all the, all the related infrastructure. And so I think that that gave the opportunity for China to kind of just leapfrog into having like straight up Alipay and WeChat Pay. And there's there's other aspect of the digital ecosystem where we, we, we've seen this. But yeah, I mean, I think this combined with a few other things like, you know, difference in consideration around uh, privacy and the management of consumer data, uh, plus the fact that they have very concentrated, very large world garden like Tencent and Ali, which is also very different than what you would actually go and see in Western markets. And the fact that they have been able to go and effectively build super apps like WeChat, the Ali have, I think this this has led to, yeah, like very different results in, in terms of uh, how people interact with technology and especially interact with most services online, uh, particularly around e-commerce and and. and and loyalty in general, but like p- pretty much anything that you would think of from like paying your electric bills to uh, to shopping online are somehow different because they've kind of leapfrogged. Yeah, I know. Bryce and I love going to the bank. Um. <laughs> Especially me. <laughs> I think it's better now, but it used to be that when I was flying out of China, going to the US and then just having to go and use like silly money or credit cards, I, I'd get kind of upset because things were really so much better in china so much more convenient but but again i think it's just uh maybe not in this exact form but i think it's something we're going to see a lot of those things we're going to see actually ending up you know being implemented as well in the west and a lot of them already have i i do think that while china leapfrogged in many of those aspects though there are still a few things that they 
are not doing as well, or at least have not invested as much as as you've seen in like for other brands in, in other markets. And particularly apart from like the giants like Doyen and Tencent and, and Ali that do a lot of work with their, the data they collect, I think most brands in China have not really done a, a significant investment in marketing automation and personalization. I think it's something that is still very much lacking. And I think that's one area among a few that I think could be interesting to, uh, that we'll see actually a, a bigger investment in China in the next few years, especially as like all those channels now are like really saturated and growth is not coming in as like easily as it used as it used to. But I do see a lot of things that still can be exported back. And we do work with clients right now around things like O2O and somehow similar flows that you would see on WeChat with the progressive web apps and um, you know, even in some markets, like we're working in Japan and Korea, where, you know, working with WhatsApp or Line or Kakao, uh, we, we really have, you know, copycats of what you have with WeChat official accounts and mini programs. And, and so there's a lot of that, that expertise that we build in the Chinese market that we're able to go and export back to, uh, to those other markets. Yeah, that was going to be my question is now that you're doing regional markets, how much is exportable? Because I think now we're seeing platforms, either even meta platforms adopting more Chinese characteristics. They're taking, they're seeing things that are developed in China or, or of course, ByteDance, which will, be, will have more consistency. Do you think that there are certain things that are fundamentally cultural that will stay in China? Or are you seeing things that, that from your perspective, uh, both from what you do on the digital transformation side and the platform side, that you're seeing seeing things becoming more similar, that these platforms and brands are, are taking the best best in class and they will obviously look to China for things uh, that possibly are further along, especially in instances like social commerce, for example. Yeah, we've seen some of that. I think the, the problem is, again, that concept of, I mean, is that 10 times better? I don't know. Like, I think, for example, in terms of payment, it took so long because yeah, I wasn't using mobile, I mean, digital payment six, seven years ago wasn't 10 times better than using your card. It was convenient enough already. Like, maybe you could make the case for, like, it's, like, you know, one and a half, twice as good as, like, using your card. But if you're already using it and it's good enough, then people are not necessarily going to move over. And I think uh, that's why it took so long. And obviously... Through COVID, we saw a rapid, rapid acceleration of the ado- adoption of like not only mobile and, and digital forms of payments, but also all sort of like contactless type of, of behaviors. Whether it's like you know QR codes. I mean, QR codes. I've always thought was the killer. I wouldn't say invention. China didn't invent it, but the fact that they adopted it, it it's such a useful, uh, tiny little thing, right? Like you can actually go and enable a lot of OTO patterns in the in a much more convenient way. And so I'm actually pretty pretty excited to go and see this um, starting to be more more common in in the West. Uh, but I think you know in some of those other verticals, it's just going to take a while. I do think in terms of of infrastructure, for example, more on a te- technical level, a lot of what we've actually learned in how we build systems for China, particularly where you know we have global infrastructure and we have global apps and we have like you know an investment that has been made with with the brands that we usually work with and. They're trying to go and then build a localized uh, experience that that requires local system, uh, but they still want to go and keep somehow that connection with the global ecos- ecosystem of, of 
apps and, and, and systems that they put in place. We've got a, what we call uh, our omnichannel blueprint, a piece of which is actually the middleware strategy. And there's a bunch of components like this that we think in terms of architecture and the way that we approach technology, we've been increasingly res- like exporting back to the US because they have and, and other markets because they have similar similar issues of having global dependencies, but a need for more localization. And you, you need to kind of like keep that balance of somehow having a decentralized approach to uh, to apps. I mean, the closer you get to the consumer, they need to be more kind of customized and, and more uh, decentralized. But at the same time, you still need to go and retain some sort of like cohesive global infrastructure. And so that's something we, we recycle. Uh, as I mentioned, the stuff around O2, I think we recycle quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a there's a few things like that that we've seen being adopted more and more. Like a lot of the work we've done on CDPs, which is again like somehow a leapfrog because there was not like decades of investment into CRM programs in China, and then uh, we kind of like leapfrog directly into CDPs. And so, at least in China, the way that we've approached it is very often like straight up investing into CDP and barely, if if anything, into CRMs. That expertise again, we've been able to go and export back to Australia, to Japan, to other countries, uh, but I think it's a, it's a matter of time and, and necessity. So, is this really absolutely needed at, at this stage, like around social commerce? I don't know. I think a lot of startups and businesses have been trying to go and build it up. But is that really better to do it on TikTok or do it the way that China is doing it or the way that Instagram is doing it, for example? I don't know that it's necessarily ten times better. Maybe it's twice as good, like, uh, but not ten times better. And I think that's that's when, I, in the end, like, really decides whether or at least drive the need for for you to go and switch to that new type of pattern or, or technology. Does it make sense? Yeah, I wonder also, one thought that came to mind is also with the with ByteDance, TikTok, what's the, what's the platform that you mentioned to me the other day? Uh, T, not, it's not Timo, it's Timo, Timo, right? Yeah, I just call it Timo, but in, in America, we call it Timo. It's the Pinduoduo <clears throat> uh, e-commerce platform. You buy things super cheap and then wait a month to get them. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it's like it's like, it's like China prices at <laughs> at very slow speed. I bought an alarm clock uh, from from Timu, Timu, and yeah, I, I bought it and uh, I I was like, wow, five bucks. It's like so cheap. But then three weeks later, <laughs> it came. So anyway, yeah, it's Timu. I guess I guess the 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 point or the question I was gonna or the yeah I wanted to just throw this on the table. How much of China's you know these platforms, e-commerce platforms that are exporting themselves um, internationally, how much of an impact do we anticipate they might have on you know the exporting of the types of experiences or the types of uh, the, the the type of transformation that we've seen in this market. And I think you've kind of mentioned it, Ona. You talked about, like, um, you know, it might have 2x um, sort of an improvement on the way they're shopping or discovering new products. Do you think this is going to be the case as well with all of these platforms exporting themselves uh, internationally? Well, I mean, two things. I think first, again, I, making that point about being 10x better because it's kind of like how Y Combinator... <laughs> I don't know if, if, if you're into it, but like if you're into startups, like definitely any anything from program, like and and they really think in terms of is this ten times better? Because if it's only like two times better, it's it's not going to be sticky enough. It's not going to be people are not going to make the switch. And I think, uh, or they make they may make the switch, but very slowly. I think there's that first. I don't think there's like fundamentally anything 
as of now, that really stands out as being so much better than what you have in, in the US or, or Europe. I think also some, some of those markets, like for example, Europe is very slow to change. And so like they don't, they don't necessarily adopt new technologies and new patterns very quickly. I think the US would be more ripe for that kind of disruption. And I think overall, you know, China has had issues exporting itself. Uh, uh, you know, I think some of the innovation that they pioneered, um, uh, you know, around e-commerce and I think has been, has been just basically either ripped off or, uh, tested in, in other market and adopted by other giants. So I think, you know, seeing, for example, Alibaba or Tencent as like a serious player in the U.S. market, I think it's going to be difficult. I think uh, Biden is the first one to really being able to go and make a dent. Um, and we can see that it's not even clear that it's going to, they're going to remain in business for very much longer. And so I think it's, I think it's difficult. Uh, I think in the aftermath of, of um, COVID-19, there's been, there's been a lot of decoupling going on. And I don't see that kind of um, China to U.S., in a, in a way of, of, of exporting innovation, at least wholesale, like under the same brand, uh, to be to be that obvious. Uh, so we'll have to go and wait and see, but yeah, probably not. And getting back to China, Ron, uh, I just wonder where you think digital transformation is going. Because uh, if I had to like, characterize three, five years ago, everyone was pretty much just dumping their whole business onto Alibaba or Tencent. And Alibaba would, would fundamentally take every aspect of, of their business. And then there was that point in time where they started to realize that maybe they were giving away too much and tried to set it up on their own and to set up their own kind of platform. Uh, you mentioned C, uh, customer database platforms and the idea of, of being able to connect directly with customer but in many cases probably it's too late i don't know uh where do you sit on that balance between in platform like tmall or jingdong or xiaohongshu versus just going direct to consumer is it is there are there opportunities there or has the ship already sailed and and the big platforms are are too powerful we actually primarily work on first party apps to a certain extent we integrate or collaborate with third-party platforms, but that's not nowhere near the bulk of our business is, is done. At least that's not that's not how we help brands. We we do a little bit of work on Timo. For example, we worked with Nike last year on on some metaverse initiatives. So they had personalized 3D avatars that they actually uh, launched on on Timo for their uh, membership program. And, and again, our expertise was mostly around you know UI UX and and overall kind of like more general digital product type of, of expertise. Uh, less so about being like really uh, uh, experts at, at the Timo platform. But we, we really do three things at Wirecraft. We do digital products, digital growth, and digital transformation. And a lot of that is around, again, first-party apps. So I think Timo, for example, remain an absolute no-brainer for brands that want to go and dip their toes in the Chinese market. I think Douyin is probably now like a close second with like Xiao Hongshu, a good way to go and do a first investment. And I think they're going to stay. But longer term, I don't think they're a great strategy. I think you end up being at the mercy of those large players. You don't really own your customers. You don't really own the relationship with your customers. It's, it's also extremely transactional. 
And I think what we've noticed with a lot of our customers is, you know, at first the numbers look great and you get a lot of that kind of validation of demand and you get a lot of that ability to go back to management and just say like, there's obviously demand, we can, we can actually go and build a real business here, but it's not, it's not particularly sustainable. At least like the margins just tend to, to, to be compressed quite a lot of the time. There's, you know, as time goes by, less and less uh, incentive for a giant like uh, Tmall uh, to promote your business or, 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 or make it easy for you to go and advertise your products. And also, usually if your category is actually successful, then, you know, there's more and more competitors and the, the, uh, the environment becomes more and more saturated for you on those platforms. So longer term for us, usually we want to go and see like an investment in first party app. And that's why we've always going to work more on mobile applications and mini programs, whether it's WeChat or now actually Doyen. Um, and then building as well that infrastructure underneath that for things like customer data platforms that allow us to collect a great deal of information about who our customers are and what they're doing. And yeah, and then kind of leveraging this then to go and build that personal relationship between uh, between the customers and, and, and the brand. And I think a lot of that is also because of the type of brands we end up working with. I mean, Nike is, I mean, we admittedly, we've worked as well with Walmart and maybe less, less premium brands, but um, uh, very often the brands that we work with has a, ha- have a very strong positioning and, and want to go and have that personal relationship with, uh, with their customers, whether it's like Nike, uh, Lululemon or Starbucks, there's, there's really that expectation that they're going to build that relationship, that personal relationship with their customers. One thing that struck me from what you just said, and let, let me see if I've got this right, that a lot of brands, when they enter into market, they have a tendency of opting for a Tmall or a JD with the intent to maximizing uh, the distribution of their product or getting that product to, to be available to as many customers as possible. As they do well, as they excel in business on, on, on these platforms, then you know they kind of move into perhaps considering a direct-to-consumer approach. So building out their own mini program, building out an application so that they can own the customer relationship. Are there specific categories that benefit from this more than other categories? Because I can think of perhaps luxury or premium products benefiting from this approach a lot more than, say, um, you know, uh, an FMCG brand. Is that, would you agree or? Listen, we work with a few FMCG brands and I think it comes from the fact that we've got at, at, at our core, our expertise is really around digital products and then associated, you know, like growth and transformation. Um, so that's what we're excellent at. And so for us, it doesn't really matter whether you're Walmart or you're Louis Vuitton. Like it, it doesn't really matter. Fundamentally, it's a different set of, it's a different audience. It's a different, it's a, it's a different uh, product, uh, but they're the same problems. Like whether you go to Walmart or Louis Vuitton, Organizations tend to go and have the same issues and the same nature issue problems that you have to go and solve. Um, and from one luxury brand to another, problems that they're actually facing are just as diverse, uh, you know, between a Louis Vuitton and a, and a Tiffany as you would have between a Louis Vuitton and a Walmart. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Premium and, and luxury brands, which we do a lot of, tend to go and have more of that need to really just build that personal connection with their customers and for good reasons right i mean you don't necessarily invest in pretty complex piece of software like a customer data platform collecting data across multiple channels trying to go and build uh, really rich customer 360 profiles and then acting upon this in terms of having like personalized uh campaigns 
if the return on investment is a few dollars, right? You want to go and or at least it's a lot more obvious that you want to go and make this when you know that it's going to be, hey, we're going to we're going to buy a watch for twenty twenty five thousand US dollars, like every every three years. It's like, yeah, sure, we'll make the investment for that for that type of uh, of market. One of the other live discussions that I'm having with one of my clients is also when you have that first party data, it gives you really good insight into into the consumer. But you know, when you look at a breakdown of of spend of marketing spend it's typically 95% of it goes into media you know the amount of money that gets spent on the management of a direct consumer asset like a mini program or an app is maybe just around 1% or that's a rounding error from many of these advertisers so they get measured around how efficient the delivery of media is and so a lot of times it's actually a lot cheaper to or it's a lot less expensive to just you know buy the cheapest impression so that you can just you know hit as many consumers as you possibly could and you know and you just keep on bringing more and more people into store versus building that long-term relationship with the consumer and and building out an entire inventory of reward and building out a point system and couponing customers and all of this stuff. I, I wonder if you've had those types of conversations and, and how do you kind of balance out? It's a never-ending conversation. How do we put it into this, Ronan? I'm done. We're digital products folks, right? So the majority of people working at Wirecraft, if not all, don't come from the agency world. Uh, they all come from startups, brand side. Basically, they've, they've worked at other companies, uh, working closely with, you know, with the product and, and building digital, digital channels to go and sell it. We, we have experts in, in various platforms, whether it's Tmold or, you know, others, but it's mostly in how we actually integrate with them. With that being said, we don't really touch the, the media or advertising piece of, of the puzzle. We're part of Publicis now, but it's really not where our expertise lie. And so... That's usually done by, by other folks. Well, what we do do, though, is at least the way that we approach it is in our digital growth practice is very often coming in, figuring out what sales and marketing teams are doing, identifying gaps or, you know, uh, points of friction. Um, it's very customer experience, I mean, customer journey driven, right? Like kind of figuring out what is the typical customer journeys that we can observe. Uh, and then understanding, okay, well, how can we actually go and tweak that? And, and then we design experiments to go and, and validate those assumptions. And we, we potentially go and, and build marketing campaigns and potentially work then also with like uh, uh, more traditional agencies on, on media plans to actually go and, and test out how we actually go and direct traffic through that, that funnel and then see if it's actually going improving things. So we've got a very different take on how we would actually go and deploy that. I would agree that not... All media spend seems to be the most efficient, but I'm also not an expert at it. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm knowledgeable enough that I can, I can be dangerous, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite know how to go and organize a, a, a national campaign for a big brand, uh, you know, like around like 11, 11 or you know, any sort of like, you know, yeah. Just put all your money into double 11 on Tmall. Done. I would, I would say one thing that we're very data driven in our approach, right? And we're very methodical. So we apply that scientific method to pretty much everything that we do, which is probably not how most advertising agencies work. Like there's probably a lot, a lot more kind of appeal to 
emotions and and the creative dimension of of, of what they actually uh, deliver than what we do. We're like a bunch of like nerds to put it like very simply and the way that we look at things is really just trying to analyze kind of formating like an assumption like a a theory as to what we think could be done or what's happening and then just go design an experiment to go and see how we can test those put those assumptions to the test and if it works we do more of that and and we're very much kind of that feedback look of looking into data at the end of the day to see if we actually improving the numbers. And I think it's got an appeal and especially through through the past, like I would say a year and a half that has been a little bit tougher on, on retailers, especially and, and some of our other clients. I think it's been it's been a very convincing pitch, like a very convincing approach to saying like, listen, you can keep on trying to go and burn through uh, through through dollars, like through just, you know, mass advertising, but um, we may have a, like a, a better approach to actually go and help you uh, get more out of your of your budgets by just uh, being more methodical. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it fundamentally we have a very different different approach to how we would have, how we would like solve that problem. We cannot have a guest on 2023 without asking about AI. So we're just kind of curious about what you're doing, where where you're taking it with clients, what kind of conversations are you having? Uh, is it early days in the context of how it impacts? transformation inside a company if they're if they are using ai how are they using it and what recommendations would you have yeah i mean ai as opposed to crypto got me excited right right from the get-go right like i was actually always a a crypto naysayer i disagreed with my team on a lot of that actually but um very excited about it and we've we've actually done a few things with uh chat gpt and generative design and and we had a, a few events actually in the past the past couple months about it so so far what we've seen with our client working is hyper personalized generative design assets we've done that for luxury brands where we actually use this in the context of loyalty programs where we're able to go and generate those assets that are that are personalized to what we know about you and what you've done uh, and then still have like a, a consistent look and feel that is very premium and we actually had a earlier version of this that was you know part of the membership the loyalty card that they had uh, that was like very much a lot rougher than what we have now what we've seen as well is using leveraging ai in uh, customer support context so especially for our hospitality clients being able to offer a top-notch uh, customer support across all channels super important right like it really just affect the uh the, the quality of the uh, the experience for the guests and one thing that i would say in 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 this area that is super interesting for me is that there's the opportunity as well to do it once for one market and then then deploy it in in multiple locales uh, and, because fundamentally like chat gpt can speak multiple languages so if you train it to answer all the questions in english you can potentially then cover Japanese, Chinese, you know, Malay, like it doesn't matter, right? Like you can actually, there's obviously going to be some, some fine tuning that you need to do. But um, if you've done the job in English, you should be able to, to deploy it with like a limited amount of either additional effort to many other markets. Uh, so it's, it's, it's super interesting in that, in that sense. Some of the other stuff we've done is around more outside of China, actually. We've done a lot of work around SEO. Uh, what this we've done some some experiments now of trying to go and create for one of our clients a long tail of content around recipes, uh, and so just like designing a lot of like recipes based on based on like some amount of input, and then being able to go and create like hundreds if not thousands of pages 
uh, on the fly that help us kind of like uh, just rank higher in the results for things like, hey, you want to, I don't know, like a paleo burger and or a vegan this or that. And we're able to go and generate a lot of those options really, really quickly with like pretty, pretty high accuracy and interest in uh, linking to uh, to the products that our clients are actually selling. So, yeah, I mean, I think. I think these are the things that we've seen at least uh, working well. And we see a lot of people at least interested in it, uh, a lot of our clients. It wouldn't be an exaggeration, and I hope Ali agrees with me, that we think what you do is really the future of advertising and marketing uh, business. Um, I I love the ad business uh, a lot. I love the creativity and the motion side. Uh, but I also believe that what you're doing is representing kind of where the industry is going and where brands need to 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 take a look at certainly there are roles for ad agencies in that in that space but i be honest i think they're fairly diminished and when i recommend to my students uh what they need to to do to prepare for the future i'm more on the wiredcraft side uh than I would say probably the Leo Burnett side, if I have to like make that analogy. What recommendations would you make for young people who want to get into a uh, business like yours? Uh, what should they be focusing on? Uh, is there opportunities for them if they wanted to get into more the the consulting digital transformation side? What certain aspects or expert uh, facets are you looking for uh, when you look for new recruits? Well, I mean, I think first there's kind of a career choice. Like, do you want to go really deep uh, into a single area? And then in that case, I would probably recommend you work at a brand rather than a consultancy. And it, it, it may be a little bit more boring, but you'll get you get a chance to really just go very deep. Or or do you like, you know, fast-paced diversity of work and, you know, diversity of problems, in which case consulting may be a good fit for, for, for the days that you want to do. And we have our four values that we actually do care a lot about. Um, and and one, of, one of them for us is um, that you need to care, care about what it is that you do. You don't have to love it, by the way. I don't think you have to love what you do, but caring about it and caring about doing a good job, I think is quite important. And because I've, I've seen a lot of people coming in and out like fairly quickly because they, they realize it's a lot of work and uh, they don't necessarily want to do it. And, uh, they're not necessarily like you know they they're just not necessarily committed to uh, to doing it. So I have an appreciation for people who roll up their sleeves and then just like get it done. Like we have also really good. I think we 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 have a good reputation for uh, for having a, a a good culture at Wirecraft, and we really emphasize not working over time, not working on weekends, and um, you know you, the eight hours that you spend in the office should be enough for you to actually go and do your job. But yeah, I mean, we do we do also expect people to be pretty intense when they show up at, at the at the office. And in terms of what we're looking for, it really depends on the kind of work that you're doing. We have a lot of people on our engineering team that would be qualified as weirdos. Uh, you know, our head of Android used to be a firefighter. Uh, get a ton of people we ended up uh, hiring that I think on paper didn't really have the qualifications. Um, and we do get into some weird discussion, some interesting discussions sometimes with our clients when they they review the the background of some of our profiles where they're like, who is that guy? So, but but you know, generally speaking, we're looking for people who are eager to learn and are you know interested in what they're doing or care at least about what they do and 
Uh, I want to get better at it. That's great. How are we doing on that A-B test, Mr. Ali? So I'm going to throw two words at you. Whatever comes first to, whatever is top of mind, whatever comes to you first, just, you know, you can agree with either of the two words and say, this is what I think. Um, you can explain yourself if you want. If you prefer not to, that's okay as well. If you want to laugh, if you want to, well, maybe not cry, but um, yeah. So uh, I'm going to start with Singapore, Shanghai. I think it would be Shanghai from a professional standpoint, but if, if it's going to be a personal question, I would say Singapore. And mostly because I have kids now. And I think there's, it's hard to beat the convenience and you know, safety of Singapore for, uh, for young family. Uh, mini program or mobile app? I still love mini programs. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a very novel, low friction concept that uh, hopefully just makes its way in, in, in a lot of other markets. So I would say mini program. Yeah, thank goodness. I totally agree. I if I have to download another app uh, for something, I think it makes sense. But I think we we're now actually in talk with like a lot of brands that that were were explaining the concept of saying like, hey, we could build a lightweight progressive web app that just effectively operate like a mini program and has like a you know a much simpler, more more transactional scope of features and just helps you onboard users. And if you get into that category of maybe like the five to ten percent of people who are super loyal then, you know, you can push them over to the mobile app if you don't have to go and, you know, I mean, even on my, on my phone, I have maybe, I have one screen worth of apps and that's all. And I've always had that, including like, you know, the, the, the iOS app. So I don't really install a lot of mobile apps. Um, I only like install like the absolute, like this, my Gmap and Teams and maybe Twitter and, and Uber. And that, that's, that's about it. Like that's already half of the apps that I had so the next question was going to be, and then you can explain yourself, WeChat mini programs or Douyin mini programs? I still love WeChat. I think, I'll be frank, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Douyin. I think it's, and in general, the concept of short, short form videos, I find them extremely addictive and it ends up being a huge time suck. So, and I think WeChat has always had, out of all the companies that we've worked with in China, always had like a very different take on on culture and always seemed to be interested in making sure that the user experience is is actually you know top notch and very concerned with you not spamming people and uh, and 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 actually not overstepping um, uh, you know what's what's allowed within their ecosystem and that's completely at odds with what, for example, the Alipay app is, where it's like, let's blast the heck out of you with like all kinds of advertisements and messages. And uh, so, so I like, I like that culture quite a lot. And uh, I think they've done like a really, really amazing job at like keeping this up um, in, in the past, like almost 10 years that we work with them. Got it. Um, that sets up uh, number five, Alipay or Google Pay or GPay? Oh, geez. I mean, Bali Alipay, I don't think I've actually used Google Pay more than like, I think I used them for one thing, probably to go and pay for my Google Drive subscription or something like that. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I've ever really used it, seriously. What's the digital wallet that you use in Singapore? Apple Pay. Okay. Well, then Alipay or Apple Pay? Oh, Apple Pay. But again, because I'm I'm a minimalist, right? So I love being able to not have to install anything, and I've been a, I've been a, I've been an Apple user 
exclusively Apple users since 2004, right? So I think, uh, and, and mostly because I like that it just works. Personalized or innovative? Personalized, yeah. I think too many people are, you know, chasing innovation for the sake of innovation when really they should probably focus on what they already have. And, and that's oftentimes what we end up telling our clients that are just getting very excited about, for example, for the past few years, let's do some Web3 stuff where it's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> how about we just invest a little bit into how you segment your, your campaigns to begin with? And it's boring, but in terms of bottom line and, uh, and uh, customer loyalty, it works. Acceleration or transformation? Acceleration, definitely. ChatGPT or MidJourney? ChatGPT. Burberry or Walmart? So the alternative to this one is going to be luxury and CPG. And so we can remove the Burberry and Walmart reference if you want later on. But, An uh, interesting experience, but not something that we want to go and repeat. Not because of the category, but more because of the uh, just the overall experience in the, in the engagement we had. It's just tough. They were going through a transformational phase. Um, and, and, and so there was a lot of, a lot of friction. Uh, I think Burberry was a lot more pleasant to work with. So I would pick Burberry. They have a, a great digital team, actually, uh, at their HQ, and they've always been at the forefront of, of kind of like digital investment in that category and luxury. So uh, the last one, scale or agility? Agility. A lot more important than scale, in my mind. Um, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of acceleration vs. transformation, I think it's... Uh, it's a lot more important to learn to be agile, lean, and knowing how to change than uh, than to try and just focus on the you know the final destination or scale. Or um, I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's better to become really good at that. Ronan, thank you for being on the show. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on, and thank you for sharing us all the interesting insights about digital transformation and your experience in China and the region. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's episode. Join us in a few weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day. Oh,